0: Welcome to episode 9 of Live at the Nut You're here with uh, JB and David Cunningham. Now, JB, last week we called it Confessions of Two Ex-Bankers, but I don't think we actually confessed to much. No, we didn't confess to anything. We... So, let's just throw it out there, JB. <laughs> what have you got to confess to as an ex banker and maybe just give some context for why we're having this conversation
1: yeah okay no i mean look so real confessions this time so digging up the, the old dirt i yeah 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 i mean it's been a long time since since i've been out of a bank i mean i got out 15 years ago and i guess the whole sort of um, premise of squirrel was i guess my own internal frustration with the way that we were operating. And I guess for you, that's been a, a more recent Yeah, yeah, journey. I left,
0: I, left uh, I was CEO of Co-op Bank and left, uh, Jill, what was it? Um, June, actually it's two years ago now, um, yeah. yeah. So squirrel anniversary or squirrelversary is in six or seven days. But yeah, I mean, the, the sort of insight is when you're working in a bank, there are ways banks do things and they're quite institutionally ingrained and when you sort of come out of the banking sector you look at it from outside in and i suppose what i've realized is that i think banks do a bloody good job in new zealand the customer experience is good the the tech experience in terms of mobile apps and so on are damn good and it makes it hard to break into the market but those institutional things we've talked about exploiting i suppose you'd say which is a, a powerful word but leveraging exploiting whatever the inertia of New Zealanders in the way that they set prices and manage products, and in our previous roles at banks and treasury and product management, you know we were masters at it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well look i I loved working in a bank at least for the first twelve or so years. Mm. I absolutely loved it. They are amazing organizations they're incredibly well run they're very complicated businesses mm. and um and they're full of really good people, you know, they're full of, uh, they're full of really good Kiwis, bright Kiwis, um, doing, doing really good work. The thing that I think, you know, I always struggled with really, two things really, one was I didn't feel that the banks here had genuine separation from Australia, like it always felt like, you know, you're really reporting through to a, a shareholder in Australia Um, Australia was pretty much wagging the dog um, and you didn't have that genuine independence here and in fact back when we were in banks you know it was common for the Australian parents just to send the latest Aussie down for a Bit of a
0: CEO gig,
1: CEO gig in yeah. New Zealand, you know, kind of put them on trainer wheels before they go back to Australia, mm. and you know, as execs in the New Zealand banking system that used to frustrate the
0: hell out of us, right? Yeah, yeah parachute be? in for a couple of years, parachute out. That, that said, you know, the likes of ANZ had David Hisco over here for close on a decade, I think. Um, their current CEO, Antonia is a Kiwi. Well, she's it's it's changed bred. a bit, right? Yeah, something's changed a bit. Yeah, but I guess if you're publishing an annual report to New Zealanders, um, you arguably help be held more accountable for the outcomes because you know we hear lots of noise about banks and banking profits and so on and i guess we see banks doing a lot of cool stuff in terms of good for the community sort of type things but you sort of wonder if the transparency of being a separate entity is one of the challenges that could change
1: well and just but you know look um i mean banks have for a long time have been sort of getting more customer-focused, right? And I guess that's that's probably where the confessions start to come in Mm. because I think when we first went into banks, and I'm thinking that must have been sort of Mm. mid-90s, they were very product-focused and in fact, you know, I think back to globally, you know, banks globally were very product-focused and they were very much splitting their business into three parts and they were thinking distribution, product and manufacturing and, Everything was centered around products and profitability. Mm. It was very, very focused on profitability. And at some point in the, in the 2000s, and I'm thinking probably around the year 2000, banks kind of woke up to this This kind of, they needed to get a lot more customer centric. And the irony is that at that time, I guess you and I were both, I think you'd moved into products at that stage, but I was, um, I was in finance. Mm. And, you know, the bank created these new sort of head of customer roles that mm. we we went into, right, mm. to, to sort of try and anchor the bank around customer as opposed to product. Mm. And, and and inside the organisation, the power was very much with product. Mm. They were trying to move, move it away, mm. trying to put it into customer, which I think we certainly both really... Sort of bought into right like i was
0: until westpac sent the 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 new head honcho over from australia who forced us to impose a whole lot of new fees because we weren't going to hit our financial plan but
1: but here's the confession right so so they they put you know they put us in charge of driving customer centricity into the bank and and i think we were doing a pretty good job of that um it was a big job but we were starting the journey um but as soon as the bank didn't hit its forecast profit number yeah you know I got dragged back into JB back into finance find us the revenue right so my job went from being customer centric to being in charge of revenue initiatives to close the gap to plan (laughs) and so you know we went through an exercise of identifying what's every possible lever that Mm. we could pull Mm. to hit plan yeah actually
0: here's my confession and this was uh, yeah, close to 15 years ago I guess and the credit card business wasn't making the money in its financial plan and so we sat down and we created a list of, I think we had 50 initiatives to increase the profitability of the credit card business and it was things like reducing the minimum payment from 5% per month to 3% per month, guess what, more money on balance sheet charging 20% interest rate. and. Um, putting in place a higher interest rate for cash advances than others so suddenly your cash advance rate went up 2% and and uh, you know that was a big money spinner there's a whole raft of things I can't remember them all but you know is charged you know we had to deliver the profit uh, and so you know how can we do it and I stand back was any of that in the customer's interest not one piece of it was all of it in the shareholders interest 100% of it did we do it yes um you know there's one confession Mm. yeah
1: well i think back to these
0: these revenue
1: initiatives and um you know the banks are living with some of them today because one of the areas that got hit at that point in time and bear in mind we're talking about the early 2000s i think um one of the things that got hit at that time were the bonus saver products so you know historically um these savings accounts they had a big base and a little bonus um, what we did back then is we uh, reduced the base right down to mm-hmm. next to nothing, and put all, all of the interest the bonus, on the bonus. Yeah.
0: And what percentage of people earn the bonus? Do the do the conditions, uh, you know, meet the conditions every month? Yeah. Well, what, what no, was your experience? Oh, I, I can't even remember to be honest. Yeah. It's so long ago. But my, it wasn't my a regulation lot. it was something like fifty to sixty percent over time. <laughs> customers worked it out, and I think it got to seventy-five to eighty last time I looked. But but you know that that was. For one reason and one re- reason alone, it was to maximise the interest margin. And if I think back to when those products were launched, the reason they were launched, by those bonus accounts, was because in research customers said, "I'd like an incentive to achieve my goal and not to withdraw money." And so you had twelve percent interest and one percent bonus. Suddenly that became you know point five percent interest and four percent bonus, you know, meaning on average customers earn you know three three and a half percent. And, you know, more profit for the bank. So, you know, guilty as charged. And then another another example was, well, hold on, why don't we launch an online savings account? Um, and that can be the headline rate and you only get it, you can't use it transactionally, you've got to have a transaction account and, hey, we'll leave that online, that, that bonus saver account there and, hey, the, the hot money will move into the online account earning a high rate and we'll just gradually lower the rate on that bonus savings account. And then we go hold on, what about we have an online bonus saver account and we'll lower the rate on the online account and the rate on the standard bonus saver account yeah. still more. So there's this sort of product lifecycle management which was about trying to create, leverage the inertia and milk the profit on, on customers that just yeah. weren't managing their money well.
1: And now you've got notice
0: savers, is oh, the notice latest saver. iteration, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. so
1: now online call accounts are paying next to nothing, probably got billions in them. Yeah paying next to nothing like the rates on online call accounts now are embarrassing you know like around one and a half to two percent right yeah, yeah. and and now all the high rates are on the notice saver on yeah. the new product but here's the thing all of these products they call them new and shiny but a savings account is a savings account is a savings account i mean all it is is an account mm.
0: with an interest rate on it well actually a savings account could be a transaction account with an interest rate on it couldn't well, it Well, it, it could be and this is the with, thing with that, different buckets to sort of differentiate um,
1: but it's this exercise of constantly putting in new products to attract hot money mm. and competing on the fringes but basically just gradually dialing back mm. um your products in the mass market mm. to extract more margin out of the customers mm. and that's that's the exercise that you see repeated time and time and time again
0: yeah yeah product lifecycle management how, how what about in what, what, what about term investments? Because, you know, that tends to be where most of the competition, apart from notice saver happens in the savings market. Any secrets there to Oh, to, oh well, to look, reveal? I mean,
1: we're, we're, we've, we've all got, con- <laughs> we're going confessions big time today. So, look, I mean, if you think about um, ter- term deposits, I mean, um, so, so a couple of things. The first is that the vast majority of term deposits held by people over the age of 55, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's an older type of demographic. Um, they're more conservative and they're a little bit more fixed in their mindset. And so, one of the rules of thumb that all of the banks will apply is that you know a lot of older um, investors invest for ninety-day term deposits because they're just conditioned for it. Ninety-day term deposit mm. and. Um, And so banks will never put special rates at 90 days. And in fact, what they'll do is they'll move the specials around so that when people are maturing, Mm. they actually have to consciously change Mm. the term of their investment to get the special. Well,
0: this would be a spare job, right? So we'd set the special at four months or 100 days. So the 90-day money didn't get it. The six-month money didn't get it. And at the end of that 100 days, Generally, so many of turn deposits are just set to roll over on maturity, so they roll for another hundred days. Do you think hundred days is the best rate in hundred days time? No, so we'd always have this fourth profile <laughs> of <laughs> what was maturing and make sure the next special is for a different term. Today, a couple of banks, by the way, will give you the best the best rate. That's co-op Bank and SBS Bank, so they they don't do that. As a result, yep. guess what? They make less money. But in the big banks, you know, like you say, you know, the specials move around constantly, <laughs> reflecting of that and they'll say, as we did, that it was because they were managing their liquidity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah of, right. of course, yeah. of yeah.
1: course. Um, I mean, if, if, let's, let's just keep going. Home lending, um, home lending. What home home lending? lending. So look, the floating rate is the one there. So I mean, fixed rates are very competitive in New Zealand. The, the, the really interesting thing, I just saw a stat in Australia the other day and like only 4% of home loans at the moment are going into fixed rates. And it's not surprising because ra- rates have gone up quite a bit in Australia as well as New Zealand but you know over here over 80% of our home lending is in fixed rate so New Zealand's actually 90% of well 90% rate. yeah and it, look New Zealand's a bit of an oddity you know we right. all think it's normal and anyone here would think it's normal you know everyone fixes mm. in New Zealand but in the rest of the world mm. um, they predominantly float And arguably, at the moment, they'd be like, oh, shit, I wish I'd fixed, you know, when rates Mm. were low. But but predominantly, the rest of the world floats. And so New Zealand's a bit odd. And it actually goes back, I think, to the 1990s. And
0: I've got a feeling it actually relates to AMP Ergo back then. No, no, no. This was when I was at Trust Bank in 1995. Yeah. And it was like, hey, rather than competing to win home loans on, on um, floating, floating rate loans, why don't we do a special fixed rate loan? And yeah. we can hoover up all this money there and add a lower margin and just keep the floating there. And I don't know if it was us there first, but the whole market basically Moved. started to do that within a couple of years. And so suddenly all the competition happened in fixed rates where the margin might have been 1% versus wholesale. And the floating margin was maybe... Two percent or two and a half percent, and it actually has gone up since then. It must be sitting at about three percent now. I Almost. think you know the banks' yeah. at carded rates are over nine and a half. So uh, eight and a half percent. Yeah, nine and a half, isn't it? Yeah. So
1: if you if you think about it from a customer perspective, the argument is that a fixed rate should actually be more expensive. Yeah. Because you're you're buying an insurance policy for certainty. Mm. And a floating rate, which is a very simple product, should be lower margin. Yeah, so if you sort of
0: think about it, if, if you know, the margin on home loans through the cycle versus wholesale is maybe 1.2% Yeah. reasonable, so you know, the floating rate in theory, the 90 day bank bill is about 5.6 today, just over that, so the floating rate should be about 7, uh, 6.8, <laughs> mm. it's about 2.5% higher than that. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, we managed that. And it was interesting because Kiwi Bank tried to do something about this in the last couple of years, eh?
1: Yeah, they did. They, 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 they decided enough is enough and, and they were going to um, basically have a floating rate that better reflected, you know, where it should be priced. I think it was about a percent below all the
0: banks. Yeah, they did. One. But
1: the, the issue is that, and I mean, this is the whole point, right? Is that you reprice your entire floating rate mortgage book mm. down. And that comes at a huge cost. You know, if you've got a I don't know, let's say you've got a five billion dollar, you know, floating rate uh, mortgage book and you drop it by, you know, say one mm. and a half percent, that's uh that's a massive drop in revenue, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interestingly, a couple of years on <laughs> Kiwi Bank's floating rate is back up at the same level as the banks because they worked it out. It was just hurting their profit. And what was the point in this oligopoly? Yeah, You know, no one followed them. They weren't getting any business because the competition was in fixed rates. And I guess this comes back to this whole competition thing. In an oligopoly, just think this through. What if BNZ decides it wants to go after market share? So it lowers its two-year rate from 6.7 to 6.5. So how long do you think in an oligopoly is it going to take for every other bank in the market to go to 6.5? About a nanosecond, you know, yeah. pricing is each week. So within a week, everyone's now at 6.5. If you're BNZ, what do you sit there and do? We got one week of, you know, a few more loans, but everyone just was at the same level. And then it's like, what's the point in doing that? I may as well just take 6.7 and enjoy a wider margin. And that, that really is the oligopolistic sort of uh, challenge is there's no point in, a, in an oligopoly with a few players to stand out because, you know, they won't let you lose. You know, banks pretty quickly worked out that you can't let someone be out of um, out of, you know,
1: be away from the market for too long. Yeah, look, I, I, no, I agree. I, I think where you sort of see it playing out um, potentially is in products where it's, um, where, there's, where it's sort of inelastic, you know, where, where um, there's, there's, there's only a very marginal benefit from price-based competition. So like you're seeing it with the savings accounts, right? So you're seeing really big margins in the savings accounts banks aren't competing on savings accounts at all mm-hmm. I mean a little bit maybe from Heartland Bank with its notice saver product mm-hmm. but you're just, you're just not seen in the old days you know you'd see bank heads all the time for savings products you know, mm-hmm. I can still remember the old bonus saver ads and stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think um, ANZ's one with the the dude dragging the person down the street. I think that was, was that was that Trust Bank or ANZ. <laughs> I don't think it was
0: Trust Bank. I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah, no, I vaguely remember something. Yeah, but nice. no, I think
1: that was ANZ Serious Saver. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but you just don't see that anymore. The only advertising is either brand advertising or mortgages. Yeah. And, um, and and they, and that in our elasticity comes through into credit card market where you said, hey, look, you know, even when the OCR was down at like quarter Zero. of a percent. Yeah um you know credit cards were still at 20. Mm-hmm. they they the, the credit card interest rates didn't move one iota
0: and the in, you know whilst wholesale when rates dropped in, when, it, when interest rates were 10 percent the credit card rate was 19.95 interest rates at zero the credit card rate was 19.95 pretty much there's a few offers out there so hey is this just new zealand or is australia the same is the uk the same is the us the same
1: Oh, I mean, US is a bit hard because the market operates so differently. But this isn't a New Zealand thing. This is this is this is just the way that I think banks
0: operate globally. So, so sort of picking up on that theme, US in the US, Apple just launched a savings account paying. Yep. I think it's about was about four point. I don't know, four point five percent or something yeah, like somewhere that. Around that through Goldman Sachs, one of the I don't know, investment banks over there, about four point five percent. The big banks at the time were paying one percent, maybe two percent on their savers' accounts, and yep. you know I think they gathered a billion dollars in three days <laughs> to yep. that account. Yeah. A the power of the brand, B the power, you know, it's the scale of the economy and then marketing sort of um, capability and that and and brand reach. But but you know that just tells me the same problem over there, and it's actually the new entrants like Apple that offer an account, you know, leveraging their brand and a trusted brand that are the ones who will make a difference. So competition studies into banking and you know, introducing a new bank like Kiwi Bank ain't going to make a difference. It actually is new entrants with a bit of a different model. You know, all Apple's trying to do is sell one product. They've got a credit card, I think, too. But is that the sort of thing that, that breaks through these confessions of bankers that, and can deliver better outcomes for customers?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely,
0: uh, 100%. And are there any barriers to competition preventing that today? Like, like, will the will the market study into competition in retail banking make it easier for that sort of outcome to occur in New Zealand, like Apple has done? Uh, No, no, no. In short, no, because
1: um, you know they'll do a study into competition in the market, and nothing's really going to change, right? Mm.
0: Diddly squat was the word I used. Diddly squat. Well, because
1: because the sort of things that need to change aren't obvious, you know, like, um, you know. It's not like I, 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 it 'll be meaningless to the public you yeah. know, and then let 's face it the you know this this study is largely politically driven and motivated, yeah. Yeah. and it 's not going to give them the big headlines yeah. Yeah. that
0: they need well sort of what, what, what is interesting is you know you 've had a bunch of commentators calling for this inquiry, and as I said, it will make Diney 's Squad difference. I wrote in an article last week we should publish on our website actually. Um, it's in LinkedIn and, and so on at the moment but um, you know it said the competition study will, it will make diddly squat difference here are the things that we'll find by the way one of which is that the Reserve Bank is one of the biggest contributors to the lack of competition in banking um, yeah. because of the moat it puts around that, that, that those businesses because of regulation and capital ratios and all that.
1: Well so it's a cost, a cost of having yeah. a very stable yeah, financial, stable financial system, system right? so
0: there's goods and bads there but you know, in my article I outlined what will make a difference and that is that teaching New Zealanders to manage their money better. And I think that's a mission that we at Squirrel are on in terms of hey, helping New Zealanders manage their money better. So we publish articles about the best savings accounts in New Zealand, for example. And educating New Zealanders how to move their money to avoid the confessions we've just been talking about you know, to overcome those, those those confessions. And hey, not every Kiwi is going to sort of follow the advice that we we'll, we'll sort of provide, but it's that sort of uh, education. And, and, you know, the banks can, some of the banks do provide way better solutions than others, or even within their own bank, you can change from one account to the other. Equally, you've got the likes of Squirrel with a 5.25%, you know, call account with no fees, you know, held on trust with a major bank. So at the major bank, you know, you could get maybe 4% with Squirrel, same risk, you can get five and a quarter and you've got cheesy's um, doing the same, you've got, you know, DOSH, um, some yep. people might have heard of DOSH, um, you know, that are, that are starting to offer interest on their accounts. And so I guess these are people that aren't banks using the banking system to give customers a better deal. And potentially upselling them into sort of other products and services. So, you know, is it more of those sort of people like Squirrel and others that that are going to make the real difference ultimately? Well, I think I
1: think long term, yeah. I, the way I think about it is similar to electricity or to telecommunications, yeah. where um, you know, if you look at electricity, for example, they separated Transpower, which was a transmission assets. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's obviously centrally controlled, and then they um, sold off all of the power companies to effectively create a competitive marketplace. Now, um, how competitive that is, and whether or not that was the right thing, I guess you know, that, 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 that would be a huge debate in itself. Um, but you know, think about similar with telecommunication. You know, um, chorus got split off in terms of the, the core infrastructure, and, uh, and then they, which encouraged a lot more retail competition and particularly areas like uh, broadband. Mm, 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 I mean, how many broadband mm. providers are out there? Um, and, and in retail, the barriers right?
0: barriers to entry are really low, yeah. Yeah,
1: because, because by separating off that infrastructure, the barriers to entry were significantly reduced. And if you think about banking, you've got a similar argument, which is that there's this core bank infrastructure that's really, really important uh, it's expensive. It's complicated. The banks are in there, and, and that's your license to play, right? Um, but you separate that from retail, and you've got two. You've got two separate businesses yeah, there.
0: Yeah, though banks do make their payment access to the payment system pretty good. I mean, Scroll connects real time yeah. to to be to a, a transactional banker, which has been said, and. Uh, and, you know we just we're just like another bank in terms of moving money around you know yeah well I th- think bank. I
1: think what it's sort of saying is giving giving non banks access to the bank infrastructure yeah. effectively stimulates competition yeah now so, whether you do that through things like open banking mm. or or just the relationships that that us as non banks have with banks mm. you know those are good and should be fostered and mm. and through that you get innovation and competition now mm. i I don't think you're getting, sort of. I mean, look at, at its core. Banks perform such a fundamental role in the economy, and they are so important. And you know, they are such a critical part of financial stability, and they've got to be highly regulated, and um, and you know, they've got to hold a lot of capital, and they've got to they've got to receive a lot of scrutiny, and that's all really expensive, and it's it's big stuff, right? And I don't think that's going to change because the the risks of getting that wrong are so damn high. Mm. Um, but you can bring non-banks and innovators mm. into the periphery, mm. Mm. and in a retail context, create mm. a lot more competition. So you,
0: need, so you need agitators from outside, leveraging the banking infrastructure through relationships with banks, and so that sort of. You know, that's pretty good now, but you know, it can be made better through open banking. Can be made more seamless uh, and more controlled by the customer Um, so you need a bunch of innovators that are going to push the boundaries and sooner or later the banks are going to go well you know we're losing money to these guys but it's a long slow build in the retail market as we find it squirrel
1: it it is and i think one of the challenges we've just got to acknowledge and accept in this market is it's a very small market you know we're we're a country of five and a half million people you know you, you know Starting up any business Mm. is a really challenging thing. Starting up a business, particularly a technology-based business in a very small market, Mm. is really, really hard, right? Because if you look overseas and you look at all of these innovative kind of FinTech companies, You know, they're operating in massive markets and they can grab, you know, 0.01% market share and be a really big and successful business.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've just been looking at Starling Bank in the UK, which went public in terms of offering accounts to the public in July 2017. Six years later, they just penned $143 million profit after tax. And what they've done is grow through a transaction account, a lot of balances. Uh, with small businesses and retail customers, they've actually got 10% of the current accounts of small businesses in the UK in six years. So, you know, they've created smart tech and then a couple of years ago, they bought a mortgage origination firm, a brokerage firm, uh, 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 a um, mortgage lending firm, and now they funnel those loans into their, you know, I think three billion on their balance sheet of those sort of loans, and they make the margin between transaction account balances, and, home lending, I'd though stand back and go, that's just the same old model, you know, borrow cheap, lend mm. high, rather than giving the customers a sort of fair deal and adding value, which is, I suppose, what at Squirrel we're trying to do is sort of, you know, every customer wins as opposed to there's a winner and a loser, because i I said, look at that model and go, well, for Starling, there's a winner. Uh, you know, the home loan borrower gets a pretty good deal, but there's a loser and that's the savings customer that's not getting a decent rate on their account. So, you know, it's interesting, even those tech startups in big markets have made money pursuing their traditional banking model in many ways, using technology to to grow. Yeah. So yeah, it's sort of like, yeah. Well, I guess that's a a play against, you know,
1: very um, old banking systems Mm -hmm. and and, and a slowness to adapt just due to, I guess, the, what would you call it, but, you know, just legacy IT, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Hey, so uh, closing sort of thoughts, uh, how do you do? You feel, you know, guilt, what's your plea, guilty as charged? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, yeah, we... we, we you we, dobbed yourself uh, in, actually. Yeah, yeah, we,
1: but that was only tip of the tip of the surface, really. Look, I, I mean, fundamentally, you've got um, really big, important organisations that have an incredibly important role to play in the economy, and that can't be underestimated. They are highly regulated, and that's appropriate. Um, they make they make bloody good money. They zig and zag together. Um, uh, you know, the 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 look banks. I I, I don't know if it's the nature of the beast, but but when you're a financial business, there is this. There's this, there's, they're, they're, they are profit focused, mm. and I, I don't know that I've seen anything in the last four or five years that would suggest anything otherwise. Mm. And, and I, but that, that's not a New Zealand thing, right? That's I mean, if you look at banks globally, mm. they all
0: yeah. behave the same way. Yeah, like I think you're right, profit focused, but way more customer aware than previously. And they, they you know, banks do do a lot of a lot of, lot of uh, a, a lot of a lot of good. Um you know, I think you know the challenge is going to be the lights of the squirrels, you know we've doubled our customer base um, and our savings sort of business just in the last six seven months. you know I've spoken to the guys at Dosh recently, you know, same experience so you know the the new entrants are there generally ex bankers because you need to know a fair bit about banking to be uh be successful um, yeah, we're,
1: we're, so. we're, we're we're an ant on the ass of an elephant yeah but, but maybe we'll be a bigger
0: ant at some point yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> and, 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 it, and it hurts the elephant eventually when we prick it up. <laughs> <laughs> hey that's us for another week uh, have a great week and we'll catch you next week see ya thanks for listening to today's podcast if you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.